it has been said that I have, or was it that I am, a little behind at times. And today is really no exception, because now on the 12th of January we have Christmas. And it's not that I've just suddenly become an Orthodox, um, Russian Orthodox Christian, or it's, it's not because it's frosty. Wasn't it nice and Christmassy? We had that in our prayers, didn't we, this morning upstairs. We talked, prayed for Christmas. But perhaps that was a prophetic word there from our elder on duty. But I chose to preach about Christmas in some senses because we have little opportunity sometimes at Christmas actually to preach at any length. So be afraid, be very afraid when I actually warn you. So are you sitting comfortably? I want to focus this morning on O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. God with us, because that's what obviously Emmanuel means. And ask what actually does it really mean? Now, the theological word, as if an Emmanuel isn't enough, the theological word for God with us, Jesus coming to earth in human flesh, is of course incarnation. Incarnation apparently is taken from the Latin word, do correct me if I'm wrong here, Elaine, incarnal, is that right? Near enough. What is it actually, really? Because I googled incarnis there we are from somebody who actually knows rather than somebody who actually just googled it comes from incarnis carnis flesh okay and i other, i gather really probably from the same kind of word carnivore yeah is that right do you think yeah be afraid be very afraid this morning because clearly that's not a word we want to preach about but incarnation if we believe Jesus' birth to have any significance is actually crucial to the nativity story. Without incarnation, we have a story of an ordinary baby born over 2,000 years ago, which really has no relevance to us today. It's lovely, is it not, to celebrate people's birthdays, but to be honest, not mean to be rude, I don't imagine in 2,000 years I will be singing happy birthday to everybody in this room. Who knows what goes on in heaven, and Adam may be there with his guitar. But, but yet, you know, 2,000 years later, it's not something that we perhaps would celebrate somebody's birthday if they're a normal baby. Not surprisingly... Since Jesus' birth, people have tried to discredit incarnation, discredit the significance of his birth. People have tried to say that Jesus was either just an ordinary man or didn't exist at all. The Gospel writer, well, one of the Gospel writers, John, dealt with such heresies in in many different ways because he believed incarnation to be vital to the gospel. Heresies ranged then as they do now from stating that Jesus wasn't really God to stating that Jesus wasn't really human because if they discredited either of those then clearly incarnation which is meant to be that God coming in human flesh wasn't true. Some of them said that God was merely, well Jesus rather was merely a mirage because They didn't believe that God to do incarnation. Surely it was impossible, they'd say. 
And I guess really right from the very start with Mary, she kind of thought that it was going to be impossible for God to do this thing, for God to have incarnation within her. She struggled to say it, didn't she? And Gabriel said to her, nothing is impossible for God. What is conceived in you is from the Holy Spirit. So John, in his gospel, well, firstly in his gospel and then later on in another key writing, firmly believed and set out that it was possible for God to come in human form. Right from the beginning of John chapter 1, he states from the outset that Jesus was pre-existent. Jesus was the word. He was different from a human, human, a normal human being. He was God. A heresy called Arianism denying his deity had sprung up and in John 1 Verse 18, verse 1 to 18 following, John wanted there to be no confusion. So shall we hear first from Bruce that, if you like, Christmas reading, but also something that has an eternal relevance from John chapter 1. Reading from the book of John chapter 1, verses 1 through 18. The Word became flesh. In the beginning was the Word... And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. There came a man who was sent from God. His name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all men might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. He was in the world, and through the world was made through him. The world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own. But his own did not receive him. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one And only, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testifies concerning him. He cries out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. From the fullness of his grace we have all received one blessing after another. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but God, the one and only, who is at the Father's side, has made him known. Amen. So John then wanted to make clear and wanted there to be no confusion that Jesus was the Word, Jesus was pre-existent, he was different. The term Word, or even the word Word, 
is a term for the theologians of the day, which was called logos, and it was something about the essence of being God. The word was at creation with the Father and the Spirit, it said in the very beginning of Genesis. And John, in in using that word, wanted to state that he was, Jesus was, God. He was, as it says, the bringer of grace and truth. He was the closest in equal relationship with the Father. And here John is stating, it's the only way that he can explain and make sense of it all, that Jesus was incarnate God. And that is set out right at the very beginning of his gospel. Jesus wrote in, in his gospel, but also in his letters, just trying to make clear to people, to the Ephesians who he wrote to, about Jesus' humanity also as well. He mentions in 1 John 2, 26, those who are leading people astray. There is false teaching, he said, in the, church, in the communities at that time. And it happened for all sorts of different reasons, as it does today. Some couldn't believe God would allow himself to be sullied by sinful humanity. Others just couldn't really get around the concept as we can perhaps sympathise with them, get around the concepts of incarnation and see how God could actually do it. So maybe he didn't, they surmised, and created all sorts of different heretical teachings. They created all sorts of more palatable or less confusing teaching, which was more easy to explain. And and they had all these different scenarios, how God came upon for a bit and then went away for a bit, and, and all sorts of different things, because they couldn't cope with the whole concept of incarnation. Christ's humanity, as well as Christ's divinity, his being God, was, said John, a historical fact. It's not a myth, it's not a fable, or a mirage, as some people would say. In the beginning of his first letter to the people at Ephesus, he sets out his reasons for believing that Jesus was not only all man, as he'd already stated in John, no, sorry, all all God, as he'd already stated in, in John 1, as Bruce has just read, but also all man. Let's read and hear from our next reading from Mike, 1 John 1, which was John's writing, his letter, which set out something about the humanity also of Jesus. So you've heard first from Bruce about how Jesus was the word, was God, but also now fully human as well. Uh, The second reading is uh, 1 John chapter 1, verses 1 to 4. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest and we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Again, right at the very beginning, wasn't it, in the letter, right at the very beginning, he wanted to make sure and correct some of the the squiffy kind of theology that was going around. There's quite a lot of squiffy theology going around these days as well, isn't it? How people kind of take bits of the gospel, the bits that they like, the bits that they can understand, and and kind of change it because it's much easier. And this is what was happening in this first century church as well. This is what was happening in the first century community, that there were people who were bringing false teaching. And he said, he stated quite clearly at the beginning of this letter, that Jesus was fully human. 
that which was from the beginning, it says at the very beginning of this letter. And what he means is from the beginning in Bethlehem, when Jesus was born, right from that very beginning, it was prophesied, it happened. It's history that Jesus was born in Bethlehem. Nobody could deny that, really, in that context. Nowadays, people perhaps try and deny it. But actually, there are so many historical backs, um, backups. There are so many historical testimonies to prove that he did exist. He was a real baby. He was convincing to Mary. He was convincing to Joseph. He was convincing to the shepherds. He was convincing to the wise men. He was convincing to Simeon and Anna, the prophet and the people at the temple. He was convincing to Herod, who did not and was not well pleased about his convincing existence. He was a real baby born in Bethlehem. Also, he goes on to say in that letter, we have heard... We're not just eyewitness, we've not just seen, but we've also heard. We are ear witnesses, if you like. We're ear witnesses to the fact that Jesus, people talked about Jesus. John heard Jesus speak. He heard him teach. He heard him um, teach the word from God. He actually heard his human voice. He knew that he was real and he wanted to testify to the fact. That which was from the beginning, which we've heard, which we've seen with our eyes. In this short passage, there's actually three times when he mentions seeing with his own eyes. He didn't mean a kind of saw, a mirage type thing, as some of the teachers would have said of the day. He meant that he actually saw with not just his mind's eye, but his real eye. He saw with his retina, he saw with his pupils, his corneas. He saw that Jesus was born, he saw that he lived, he saw that he worked, he saw that he died, he saw that he rose from the dead. He was the incarnate son of God. He was in flesh. He was fully human, John affirms. As he carries on in in this letter, he gets more and more enthusiastic in his explanation that this is true. I didn't just, it wasn't just that it happened, it was in the beginning, it wasn't just that I heard, it wasn't just that I saw, but I beheld him, or I looked upon him. In other words, what he saw, he not only just saw with his eyes, but he actually saw the significance of the reality of the human Jesus He saw his glory. He studied his face. He knew where his wrinkles were. He knew every part of his face. He beheld his glory, as it says in 1 John 14. We've seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from earth, full of truth and grace. He was real, but also he saw the reality and the significance of what he was seeing. It's like he saw the penny drop about Jesus. And then... As if that wasn't proof enough, we have touched with our own hands, he goes on to say. We've looked at and with our hands we have touched, it says. He is and he was the tangible, touchable son of God. I think if you're reflecting in your own lives about what something, whether something is actually real, touch is actually one of the key things, isn't it? Even if you can't see, even if you can't hear, most people can touch and know that something is actually there. If you're in a room at night and you might perhaps hear a sound or you might perhaps think you see a shadow, if you actually feel something brushing up against you, 
you actually know it's there and then you might begin to scream. But do you know what I'm saying? Is the fact that touching is, is really kind of the most definitive proof that Jesus actually did exist as a human being. And this progression of, food, of truth is also further illustrated by Jesus. That in this passage, John showed the ways in which he believed Jesus to be the touchable, tangible reality, the human face of God. But also in Luke 24, Jesus used this kind of ongoing progression of hearing, seeing, and then beholding, and then touching. He saw this progression in Luke chapter 24, verse 36 to 43. The people there, in that context, when he had this resurrection appearance, hadn't really perhaps believed and and, and seen that Jesus had come back as, as a real person. They perhaps thought that he was a mirage or a ghost, and he wanted his disciples to know he wasn't just an apparition. He was their tangible God. So this is, if you like, Jesus trying to prove to them that he was really there. Jesus appears to the disciples. While they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. He said to them, Why are you troubled, and why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. Is it I myself? Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones, as you see I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And while they still did not believe it, because of joy and amazement, he asked them, Do you have anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it in their presence. Amen. It's me, said Jesus. It's me, and I'm real. I'm not just some kind of hologram. I actually do exist. I have risen from the dead. First he spoke to them. Then he stood among them and they saw him. Then he said, look, look at my hands and look at my feet. Behold, it is me. And then he said, touch, you can touch me and feel my hands and my feet and and see that I actually am here. I am Jesus. There were as John had said, many convincing proofs for them, but also for us. Do not, as the people were in that early church, being misled by the heresies of the day, do not let us be misled by the heresies of the day. Because if we don't believe in the reality of the incarnation, the reality of the possibility and the reality of the um, certainty that Jesus came as fully God and fully human... If we do not believe that, there is so much missing from the gospel. There is so much missing from our faith because it isn't actually reality. It says, as we continue to read in that verse, that we can, we have seen it and we testify to it and we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. And what he's saying is that that, that he received the gospel 
And because of what he's seen and because of what he's testified that, that God came to earth, he can proclaim eternal life. He can proclaim forgiveness. He can proclaim that Jesus came to save the world. Without it, there is not that reality of God's love for us, of God coming in human form, coming as Jesus, not only to be born as that baby that was testified by all those people at that time, but also who went on to teach, who went on to preach, who went on to to show what his father was like, who'd actually been with God in creation, came to earth and explained it all to people. Sometimes they didn't quite get it, but his teachings in here, his teachings, what David's reading every day, and I would suggest that's really good for us all to do. And the significance of that teaching is that it will give us eternal life, not just when we die, although that's really reassuring and wonderful to know that we can meet with God face to face, but also now. It says that his love, that he will be made manifest in us. It says that we can have fellowship with him. And I mean, that's just amazing. That's just fantastic. it's, It's a covenant relationship, like we've said, and we mentioned those covenant things, but also it's a living relationship that we can have with God because of Jesus, because God... Um, through Jesus, took the temple of the curtain and split it in two and said, it's not just holy, it's not just away from you. I can come and I can actually make myself manifest in you. I can bring that light that Jesus brought to earth and it can actually, through his Holy Spirit, live in you. Incarnate Jesus. He came to earth. He wasn't put off by how we were. He knew exactly how we are. He came knowing that we're sinful, but he came knowing this was the only way to give us that eternal life. So as we reflect on the Christmas good news, let's not miss out. Let us not lose that whole idea of the incarnation, God coming to earth because it has such a dynamic and dramatic impact on our lives. It can make such a difference. If you think, as it said in that song, what if God came as one of us? He did. And if you think about that, how can that transform your life now? We can accept what he's done for us, but also we can live in his strength, knowing that he is here now, living in our hearts, living through the power of his Holy Spirit, but also working and moving in his world. Let us just pray for a moment. We thank you, Lord, for Jesus. We thank you that he was born as a real baby, Emmanuel, God with us. We thank you that the people then knew by testimony So many people witnessed to the fact that he was fully man, fully human, but also the Son of God. And we thank you that you sent Jesus so that we may be forgiven. You sent Jesus so we can have that fellowship with you, that we can walk with God. And we pray, Lord, as we reflect and as we look forward to the coming year, we pray, Lord, that we may walk with you 
that we may know your presence, that we may know that you can transform us evermore to be disciples of you. And we lay our lives before you, Lord. And we pray, Lord, that you may touch us, that you may fill us with your Holy Spirit. But also, as Jesus did at baptism, your Holy Spirit may come upon us. Help us to live and work and praise to your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.